0: episode of Believe in Kentucky. My name is Vinny Hardy. Flying solo today. Aaron Gershon for the Catspaws and former UK QB Jalen Whitlow aren't able to be here this afternoon but we have a pillar in the UK sports media community. longtime newscaster, sports director, radio host, friend of this podcast came on uh, once before and took time to hop on with us again, Dick Gabriel is here. Dick, how are you doing? Appreciate you hopping on, sir.
1: Any good to see you? I, I, I hear your voice when you come on my show, but good to see you.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I got the face for radio, so I don't know. You might, I <laughs> might want to turn my camera off so we can. <laughs> and if I'm a pillar, that means I'm a stiff, right? <laughs> uh, not well. What about veteran? Is that better? Is that better? Uh, that works too. Okay, okay. I'm not trying to be a negative connotation with oh, that. Oh, I know that. well man we we had the the bye week unfortunately one turned into two as we've heard students often say and they had to sit and just stew on that missouri game for the past couple weeks so what's the vibe like in in your opinion you know tennessee's coming to town what what have you kind of gotten from the team from a vibe standpoint a mindset standpoint
1: Well, they're saying all the right things. They've been very positive. We didn't get to talk to them last week. Just heard from Mark Stoops, as you know. But we talked to players this week, and they sound determined, Vinny, to to put that behind them, and they firmly believe that uh, what I think Kentucky fans are hoping is that their problems are fixable, and they seem to be because they're problems of execution. They're not being overwhelmed by the teams that have beaten them. Now, you might say that about Georgia, but it was hard to say – because they made so many mistakes against Georgia. And early in that game, if they break back and score on Georgia and they had an opportunity, I don't know that they win, but they're a lot more competitive as they were the last couple times they played those back-to-back Georgia national champs. Kentucky played Georgia during the regular season as tough as anybody, as you know. So that didn't happen. in Athens and then, buddy, I don't know what happened against Missouri. I mean, they they could it looked like they could have knocked the locker room door down on the way out to the field. That's the way they played. And then that fake punt, which by the way, I will always say resulted no disrespect to Mizzou, but the receiver pushed off. I mean, Andrew Phillips is in his kitchen. And the next thing you know, he's three yards away and falling down. You know, and the kid made a great catch and it was a great throw. But anyway, Kentucky had plenty of opportunities to come back in that game and did. Make it twenty-one twenty, and it just fell apart. Penalties, drop passes, it all went bad. So, if they can clean
0: that up, they can do a lot of good things this year. Absolutely. As you're, a cow- I'm a Cowboys fan, as you know, and you know, of course, you can't stand them. Give you for that, the, yes. The heyday, you know, Michael Irvin and the triplets. Michael was famous for separating just without getting caught. You know, like like Greg Maddox would get that wide strike. Michael Irvin could somehow push off and, and get away with it most of the time. And I guess the Mizzou kid, you know, credit the punter for making a good throw, but the Mizzou oh, yeah. kid was was right on that line. If maybe if he extends his arm another inch, maybe yeah. there's a flag. I don't know. But you know, I'm with you. Maybe I mean, if
1: Andrew had fallen down, you like know. Like Manning, just flop like Manning did. Flop. <laughs> right.
0: <That's> right. <laughs> it's like he got shot out there. They'd had to call it for sure. Still um, they, they
1: should have come back and won.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, we had, had Christy Thomas who's down there field level like you. She was on with us last week and sh- she said the whole just the air came out of everything, still up 14-7, but just way more of a gut punch than maybe it should have been.
1: Yeah, and it was that way, not just in the in the stands, but on the sideline. I mean, those those kids were dumbfounded because they were celebrating already, at least celebrating the immediate success. And I'm sure they're thinking it's fourth down. We're going to get the ball back in pretty good field position and take it down and score again because they can't stop us. And the exact opposite happened. So it was
0: weird. And watching the the broadcast, they interviewed Drinkwitch, you know, they do those sideline sessions and he just, his thing, we got to just survive this first quarter. And to their credit, they, they were able to, yeah. to weather the storm and, get out of there, you know, up against the ropes and cornered and ready to be knocked out, and, and they fought it off and made a dramatic turnaround. So Jeff Kokoro likes to talk about
1: Mike Tyson when we were actually getting ready for the Georgia game, and at a couple of times pregame he said it's, it's a lot like the people who fought Tyson or any other great heavyweight. If you can just withstand a first couple of early rounds – and settle into a real fight, then you got a chance. Mm-hmm. That that looked like it might happen against Georgia, it did not. But that's what Missouri did to your point against Kentucky. Well, sure, sure did,
0: sure did. Um, I was listening to—I said it yesterday with with Aaron and Jalen, or maybe last week, I forget. But McElroy and Kubelik, uh, Cole and and Greg—they do a show together there in Birmingham, and they had former Val. Jason Swain on there asking this was before they played Alabama, you know, they were getting the the vibe from Knoxville from him and in, in particular him being the ex out, was talking about the passing game. And he says when, you know, we have guys open, the past have been inaccurate when uh the past have been accurate, they've been dropped. When you have a chance for a big play, there's been a penalty. I said, you could carbon copy everything he's saying with what everybody in Kentucky saying. I mean, the exact same thing they're fussing about is what we've been fussing about.
1: And both teams run the ball well. So they've had some success this year. But, yeah, that's exactly right. And to me, Vinny, that's the most puzzling part of this season for Kentucky because people keep asking me. I was on a national show the other day. I was on – a local show the other day, asking me about Devin Leary. Would you uh, characterize him as a failure? And I said, well, it's 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 hard to get a read on him because, as you know, passing begets passing. You complete a 10-yard pass, you get four more downs, right, and a chance to throw even more. Uh, if you complete a 25-yard pass, how much better do your numbers look? And if the kids don't drop these passes in the end zone – obviously your touchdown totals are a heck of a lot better so it's hard but on the other hand with Devin unfortunately he's missed some guys he missed uh was a and brown in the Missouri game running behind the Missouri defense perfect play call and and we heard later on they said we thought we could get that play and we got it and yet we don't complete it Mm -hmm. so it's just hard to get a, a read on all of this but I think the most surprising of the, of the two things that have surprised me the most were that Dane Key and Varian Brown have not been super accurate in their routes and, and not hanging onto the football as well as they should have. And Varian's been nursing an injury, frankly, since preseason. So that's not an excuse, but that just me might be why he's having a hard time. Uh, I think Dane has looked better at times of late. Uh, the other thing that surprised me, quite frankly, is punting. But terrible, yeah. last two games, terrible. I went back and looked at numbers last night, and up until Georgia, Kentucky was averaging in the low 40s, had a high of 48-yard average in one game, and yet it has it gone so far south that it's just inexplicable. And I'm really curious to see who takes that first deep snap this coming Saturday night against Tennessee. Has Barry lost his job? You know, the Smith kid from Danville has got a good leg, and his dad was an all conference punter here, if that matters. So uh, that's been a
0: huge problem. Yeah, I just wondered if there would be some depth chart shakeup where there could be. I mean, you, you can't do much at wide receiver because you only got what you got. But in right. other places where there's depth, I, I'm a little curious as well because that, that bench can motivate. That's, that's, a that's, you know, a time-honored proverb, but it's really true. <laughs> that's true. You mentioned it, you know, you didn't talk to the guys this week, but last week I think we talked about it too. Leary, when he talked to the media, to me, still seemed upbeat, still seemed accountable, still, and he's he's a veteran, he's been around, didn't seem beaten down by the way things had played out. Now, maybe when he gets in the dorm by himself or whatever, that's a different story, but I like the way he carried himself and just kind of faced the questions head on.
1: You said it yourself. He's a veteran quarterback. And so he's been there. Uh, I have no idea what media coverage is like in Raleigh, North Carolina. I know he had more success down there. So this is probably the first time, at least in college that he has dealt with people who doubt him, who criticize him, um, uh, thankfully, it seems like a pretty good group of, of kids, of young men who play for Kentucky. So the chemistry has been good. And I've traveled, as you know, with this team. And, and you know, they, they, they seem like a close-knit bunch around the hotel and things like that. Uh, and to your point, he is saying all the right things. But he also knows that as a QB, he'll get too much credit and too much blame. That's what happens when you sign up to play quarterback. Uh, I asked Liam Cohen a little bit this week about play calling and whether or not he will think about calling some plays that are a little bit easier to execute early just to help Larry and his receivers gain a little confidence going into this. When you see in the NFL all the time with a backup QB, what's the first pass they call? Swing pass, right? You know, a dump off. Uh, I wonder, will they do that? And here's the thing about Kentucky. They've got a great pass-catching running back in Ray Davis. I mentioned him in the same conversation, the same sentence, with Anthony White, who's the best of all time Mm -hmm. at Kentucky when it comes to pass-catching running backs. And he was right place, right time. He played there in the air raid, but he had the skills, and he made it happen, and I think Ray Davis can do the same. Yeah, Anthony was just just so
0: versatile, you know. Yeah the perfect piece for that system at that time. You're exactly right. Do you think we'll see a change in tempo? Will they go a little faster? Will it still be what it's been? They've had to if they're gonna change it this past couple of weeks were the time to, you know, kind of pick up the pace. How do you think that'll play out?
1: That's a great question. I think at times they will. I don't think they will for the entire game. Uh, I think what's vital for Kentucky this week is to run clock, go back and look at time of possession this season. And it also comes with a big old asterisk because the defense has scored, you know, and there have been short fields. Thanks to turnovers. They've done a nice job. So they have had scoring drives, either none by the offense or short fields by the offense, which means they haven't needed a lot of time to score, but, But, but you know, alternately, it means the defense is on the field more often. Uh, And the best defense is less defense. The less time they're out there, you know, the better off you are. So I'd say run – I'd say – and we've seen them run tempo at times, depending on the package of plays. But I do believe that they're going to do their best to put together long drives the way they did when Cohen was here two years ago. But then again, he had a guy named Chris Rodriguez and a receiver named Wandale.
0: That's true. That is true. They're, of course, two and two in the conference, you know, one and one on the road, one and one at home. The constant in the two home games, you know, even though he lost to Missouri, uh, the win over Florida was fast starts, he jumped on Florida very quickly and. You know, unlike the Tyson opponents that survived the first couple rounds, they stayed on Florida for the duration of the fight. Weren't able to do that against Missouri. Coming off a bye, we know the history. Coming off a bye weeks, sometimes, you know, and we know the history against Tennessee, you and I, unfortunately. Hopefully there's a fast start again that can be sustained like what we've seen them do.
1: I'm curious to see what happens if Kentucky wins the toss. Because most coaches defer. Stoops usually does. But there have been times this year that he has not deferred, that he has wanted to jump on a team and and get the offense out there and get started. And, of course, the the gamble there is if you have to, if you go three and out or even two series and out, now the other team's got the ball coming back and they get the ball to begin the second half. I'm thinking they would defer for that reason. A little bit easier to win that middle eight if you get the ball coming out of the locker room at halftime. But that means the defense has to be ready for that Tennessee offense. And uh, and good starts when you defer mean obviously communicate, put pressure on the quarterback if you can. But you were talking about the the, the two home games. What they also have in common, as far as the other team was concerned, is those quick tosses. Outside. Well, actually, Georgia was on the road, but the two losses, uh, those quick shots to the sideline, let a receiver pick up four yards because they've been playing soft coverage. Uh, receivers pick up three or four yards, and then if they break a tackle, they get to the chains. So, you know, I want to see if they make any changes, if they tweak anything when they play Tennessee because Tennessee's had their number a couple times racking up big points.
0: And to your point about, Carson Beck, I mean, he made some throws against Auburn the previous week. You know, Brock Brock Bowers put his cape on and you know <laughs> got them to win down there on the plains. But he was in rhythm immediately against Kentucky because of the the quick, just boom, 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 not having any resistance, and he was you know had time, a clean pocket, and next thing you know, you know this dude is he's rolling. Yeah. It. So I don't think Kentucky's defense. Touched him more than twice
1: that night in Athens. And it was similar with Brady Cook because they went for the quicks. You know, they've been pretty good at putting pressure on the QBs. And as you know, hurries can be more valuable than sacks Mm -hmm. because you're forcing the quarterback uh, into making possible mistakes. And it was paying off, but if you can't get to him, and as you said, clean pocket, time to throw, makes him look great. Absolutely,
0: <laughs> got to switch to, to basketball real quick. You're fresh off a trip to Highland Park, Kentucky, and Truest Arena. The, the Braves fan of me wants to say Truest Park. I have to, you know, bring that back. <laughs> Truest Arena for the Blue White game um, with your your colleague Cameron Mills. Can we can we say that he's as much as he fights it? He's bona fide media member now, isn't he? Isn't you know?
1: <laughs> he's always ripping on me we tease each other because i'm a liberal and he's not uh but he also talks about the liberal media and i and i said uh yeah and that's you you know so i think he finally has admitted that he's a media person but he, he will not and he's not a journalist you know that's where uh, we draw the line but uh but yeah we've we've become really good friends and uh i hope people enjoyed. Uh, our banter on Saturday night. It wasn't a traditional basketball broadcast, as you could tell. It was more of a running commentary, almost like a a talk show with video. But (laughs) but it was fun to watch. I think it was fun to be a part of.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because, you know, you guys were on the the call. He's doing all these player interviews and everything, We the documentaries with you that everybody has loved and watched. But, yeah, it was – and my thing too. I wanted to ask you. Even it was no commercials. It was streaming continually. Even as a player, if you play every minute, if you go both ways in football, there's timeouts. There's delays in the action. You were on the air the entire time, hot mic from start to finish. So was that an adjustment for you to have to get used to? To hey, I gotta, I gotta keep this going for the entire time we're on. Yes, it was. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean I have been uh part of a
1: lot of different projects, uh telethons, uh you know, a lot of different broadcasting ventures, but uh Cameron had reminded me, you know we didn't have any commercials last year and I said, "Are you sure?" He goes, "Yeah." And so we get there and talk to the producer and yeah, that's the case. It's just a different but yeah, because it's streaming, you know, uh not that that streaming broadcasts don't have commercials because doing the SEC Plus that I do, there's commercials there. Mm-hmm. but. But, yeah, but, you know, that's what was great about having Cameron was he never runs out of energy when it comes to that kind of thing. But, but you make a great point. Because he had done in-depth interviews with every player with the exception of, uh, of Iwicevich, and he's since done one with mm-hmm. VT, So with Iwicevich, I think I had it wrong. Um, but, yeah, he could, he could go deep on players, and I, and I knew what to lead him into on that. Plus, we had gone to practice the day before, and sat and watched for two hours, <clears throat> watching uh, Calipari coach, listening to Calipari coach, and just seeing what they're going to be, you know, looking for immediately. So that helped us a lot. You might have been able to tell, but uh, Cameron does. He's not afraid to draw on his own experience, and that's okay. And I lead him into that at times when it matters, you know, when it makes sense. And I think with this particular team. Uh, When we talk about chemistry with with this one, the the teams that Cameron played on had great chemistry, obviously. And that, you know, it's a chicken and egg thing. Does it come from winning? Does winning come from that? Well, the answer is yes. But the chemistry on the 96 championship team and to a degree on 97 was different than 98 because 98 was the underdog team. And this team right now is an underdog because it's not even in the top 15. So it's easy to talk about that. But the 96 team, as you know, was so loaded. That roster is, and I said this on the telecast, there'll never be another roster like that in Mm -hmm. college basketball because everybody's going to leave, you know, after one year. But this team has got so much depth. The bigger question is not so much how are these kids going to handle it and play and all that. How's Calipari going to handle it? In terms of minutes and rotation and things like that, because that was the question mark that all those kids on the '96 team had—the kids who played a lot—you know, bless his heart, Cameron's on the bench, wondering if, ever, if he's ever going to get in, <laughs> you know. But the, the Derek Andersons mm. and the uh, the the Antoine Walkers and people like that—I think the one guy who knew what his future was was Mark Pope, because he was brought there to play in the middle, be physical and rebound, but all the other guys, they had no idea. So now mm-hmm. the guys they have now, you know, what's Trey Mitchell going to end up being in February? You know, what is a Duthierro's role going to be? When he got there, he was a guard. He's 68 225 Now mm-hmm. Looks like, he'd make a great defensive end. <laughs> he, he is swole as you kids say, but, uh, You know, it's going to be really fun to watch this story unfold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. And, you know, considering, you know, Kansas early in the season, big men still recuperating, visit still acclimating, going to have to maybe quote unquote survive the first quarter of the season. Yeah. Because, you know, Hunter Dickinson is. Probably licking his chops, you know, based when he, when that time approaches, because not nobody really there to kind of go toe to toe with him like we would like. Uh, so you'll have to.
1: What did you uh, think of him when Kentucky played Michigan last
0: year? He was he was okay. Uh, yeah, he bodied, uh Ugo just because he could, just because he yeah. was older and and stronger, and, and made some plays. He, he didn't. Awesome. He didn't dominate, but he was he, right. was he was solid. See, that's exactly what my reaction
1: was. And I actually went over there, um, dipped into the savings account, bought a plane <laughs> ticket. But um, I'm watching him, and I'm thinking, when is this kid going to take over? And he never really did. And Kentucky had to make some big shots down the stretch, which it did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But watching Michigan the rest of that year, I was thinking, I don't think he's got quite the help that he needs to, to take Michigan where they wanted to go. I think he clearly has that kind of help at Kansas. So mm-hmm. he might not be a dominant big man, but surrounded by the kids Kansas has, he's going to look like a different player in my opinion.
0: And if they do what they should, he'll, he'll have a lot of room to operate, you know, because they can't help and, and dig and swipe down and try to collapse on him. And,
1: and, at and- the other hand, he'll guard the rim and, and, you know, force bad shots or block shots, and they'll take off running and put together 12-2 to runs and things like that, which is what you, if you're a Kentucky fan, you hope happens when either Bradshaw or Ugo or both come back. I think uh, Zvonimir can probably guard the rim, but he's, as you know, a face-up out-on-the-floor player offensively.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, as – all the seven-footers are now. If you, I don't know if you saw Wimbin, Wimby for the Spurs. Yeah. Uh, well, they knew that good. going in too, though. Yeah. yeah. And the the hungering kid, which is – if I hope both those guys stay healthy. Just, you know, I'm not a fan of the Spurs or the Thunder, but just to see both of those seven-three guys go at it for the next few years would be fun. Not a fan
1: of the Thunder with the ex-Wildcats on there?
0: Well, I mean – I know um, you're yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a Rockets fan, but you okay. got you know Nas Muhammad and you know, a lot of Kentucky flavor there, and I think yeah. they might be under the radar to be the next team of BBN, if you will, because you multiple cats there. The Knicks with Quickly and Randall, and them being the Knicks got a lot of attention, but the Thunder I think could sneak up there. Yeah. The Lakers are so polarizing, even though you got. Vanderbilt and Nancy Davis and, and you had Frank Vogel. You, you just I can't root for the Lakers. I mean, I just never could, even as a kid. No. The Lakers or Celtics, uh, it was a great series, but I didn't like either one of them because they'd already won too many. I'm like, I want right. to see somebody else, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> I became a Mavericks fan because I lived in Dallas for a couple of years. So I still mm. kind of root for them, and their play play-by-play guys, a friend of mine. They're fun to watch at times. Uh Dwayne Casey won a ring the the, the year the Mavericks won it Dwayne was an assistant he was like their defensive coordinator so he got an NBA
0: ring with the Mavs that is right I was gonna ask who your team was I knew Cardinals and Packers I didn't know which way you leaned in the NBA so
1: I really don't have an NBA team per se like I said if I had to pick one it would be the Mavs just just like I said I had season tickets when I was down there and I never thought I'd like NBA basketball I was such a staunch college basketball fan but a guy named Denny Treese, who was the sports director at WKYT, where I worked for forever, uh, he left KYT, took a job in Kansas City, and was actually doing the Kansas City Royals. Wow. They had a pro NBA team at the time, and they're not the Sacramento Kings. But um, I had him on a radio show, and I said that about basketball, and he said, you will find out that you if you go watch NBA in person, you'll really like it. And Van Vancey used to do the Kentucky colonels games in Louisville. And I was a huge colonels fan, Mm. but he told me the same thing because they are the best athletes in the world, as you well know. And here's what I tell people about the NBA. First of all, the games are too long, but they need the games to be long so they can make money on the concessions. (laughs) Seasons too long. Same thing. TV money, concessions money. Uh, Now they have all these salaries they got to pay. But as you know, in, Almost every game, there are at least two or three moments where you sit back and, go, oh, my God, how did he do that? Just incredible athletic achievements that you might see once every couple of weeks in the college game. You know what I mean? Yeah. In college, we like execution and you know long shots made and runouts, but those phenomenal athletic plays that guys make, big or small, tall or short, you see that in the pro game, and you walk out of that arena going, "Oh my God, how they do that!"
0: And you, you know, you you watch Barkley on NBA TNT. He says it on top. Ernie, he's the greatest athlete in the world, you know. And, <laughs> and I'm such a Barkley fan. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I appreciate that. He's he's from the same hometown as my grandfather in in Leeds, Leeds? Alabama. Yeah, my Leeds, grandfather yeah. moved to Kentucky from Leeds as a teenager to, to work in the coal mines in 1932. As a wow. seventeen-year-old, that's how you know my dad and, and you know how Amazing. we came to be in Kentucky. But were you we were watching Auburn podcast? I need to listen to more. I'm kind of hit missed.
1: Oh, it's not to me. It's a great podcast. Him and Ernie.
0: Yeah, yeah. He I gotta listen to it. Excellent. But he was at Auburn. I was a kid, and <laughs> Bark was on the screen. My granddad wasn't a big sports guy. He would watch it if his own, if it's boxing. He kind of watch it. But Barkley was at the free throw line. <laughs> my granddad was a big, strong guy. He said, "That boy's granddaddy owed me five dollars." Talking talk about Charles's granddad, on my granddad money. Yeah. Are you he, serious? You know, he's from Leeds. That boy's granddaddy owed me five. dollars awesome. That's a great story. <laughs> and I was, you know, Barkley's at Auburn in the mid '80s. So I'm seven or eight, but I've never forgot hearing him say that. He said, "That boy's granddaddy owed me five dollars." <laughs> That's yeah. so. Great. Just stuff that you remember, man. Stuff. Yeah, that, and I
1: was right out. It. it was I was in my first job when Barkley was was at Auburn, and then I I was in Dallas uh, in '84 when Kentucky beat Auburn on that last-second shot by oh Kenny Walker. Man. I'm home. I, I'm at my my crib in Dallas watching that. I was like, oh, you know, and that kind of thing. So, uh, <laughs> but watching Barkley manhandle Melvin Turpin. That was really something. I'll tell you a quick story about that. Barkley would come to town. I'll tell you two stories. Destroy Melvin. I mean, double-double, 25 and 12, whatever. Within three games after that, Sonny Smith had to bench him to get his attention because he was so eat up with beating Kentucky. Mm. And I thought I was imagining that, and I, I ended up running into Sonny Smith at the SEC tournament one year. And he remembered me for some reason. I don't know why. But we sat there and talked about a whole game waiting for the next game. And I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question about Charles destroying Kentucky. And I described just what I described to you. He said, you're exactly right. I had to bench him just to pull him back down to reality because he so loved competing against Kentucky. But one of those games where he killed Melvin here in Lexington, Joe B. Took a handful of us reporters into his office one day and said, this is all off the record. And now Joe B.'s gone. Melvin's gone. So I'll share with you. Um, He queued up video of this one play where Barkley somehow got loose on a half court play and, and threw down an uncontested dunk. Well, the play began with Barkley on the low block. If you're in the end zone on the right side and Melvin, kind of guarding him, Melvin gets distracted or whatever. Barkley flashes to the high post. Melvin doesn't notice, loses track of Barkley. And so by the time Melvin notices Barkley's gone, the guards are feeding the ball to Barkley. So here comes Melvin rushing up to the high post. Well, by now Barkley's got the ball, wheels to the bucket, no one's getting in his way, and throws down this vicious slam, leaving Melvin in his wake. And Joe B said, you see what I'm dealing with? That was not Melvin's strong suit. Melvin's strong shoot, suit was shooting and blocking shots. But his man-to-man defense against Barkley, although not many people, in fairness, could stop Charles Barkley. But I, I just love him as an, as a commentator. He's great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned, you know, 84, you were in Dallas. Um We've heard your buddy Tom Leach talk about how he always aspired to be the voice of the Cats. And he said even hindsight, maybe that was a small target to aim for, but he was able to hit it. So in all the things that you've done, you know, you are sports director, broadcaster, sideline reporter for football for how many years now?
1: Started in 89, I think, wow. as the sidelines guy. And there were, uh, yeah, I mean, and there were other years
0: where I was the scoreboard guy so uh yeah that all adds up did you aspire to be the sideline guy did it just kind of happen how, how did it even how did it come to be
1: it just happened because i was working at, at uh, wvlk so that's why i was the scoreboard guy then i left came back to channel 27 but we had that partnership with VLK and host communications and a guy named rick shaw was the sidelines guy well rick was one of the top salespeople at WVLK Radio. He got a job in Western Kentucky managing a radio station, general manager, which was a great move for him. But that opened the sidelines job, and I, I was, I guess, the logical candidate to replace him. And so that's how that started. And there have been a lot of comings and goings, you know, with, with color analysts and and Kaywood and Ralph and Tom, but I've just stayed there as a sidelines guy, which is great for me. I love that job. I, Vinny, I don't know if I could sit in a press box now and watch a, a wow. football game unless the windows were open and I could hear everything. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it. Now, I, it's not a great seat. You know, if something's in front of me, obviously it's cool. But if it's, like, at the other end of the field on the other sideline, I'm like, what happened? Uh, yeah. I like keeping an eye on the sideline and the stands and everything that's going on around me.
0: So there's certain certain places you hit in certain venues, or you just kind of just kind of you got to move around. I guess, staying your toes in case there's an injury, or yeah. they throw it to you, or when, yeah. when, when something's going on. So I try
1: to stay ahead of the ball, so I can see. But there are times I'll purposely stay behind the ball. For instance, uh, if I'm trying to see what Kentucky's doing defensively, or if I'm trying to figure out what's going on with the offensive line. <clears throat> but for the most part, I stay ahead of the ball. And I always keep an eye on the sidelines to see if somebody's hurt or if there's drama, you know, uh things the fans can see in the stands. I don't, I don't get in there and weasel around and try to, to be out of place, but if people can see it from the stands, it's fair game. And that means the cameras can see it.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. <clears throat> and so, you know, they throw it to you for updates and, and, you know, what did you got down there Gabe and things like that all the while you got to you know, formulate a question for the coach at halftime. He does whoever ESPN SEC Network first with, with Kubelick, whoever. Then it's you. Right. We always see you coming up. You're you're ready. Is it normally the? Well, this is this is going well. How do you keep it going? Or this isn't going good. How do you get it better? Is that what you normally keep it to? Or do you kind of think? Well, let me do something different. Or,
1: well, you can't really throw anything too different at them because you know they're they're in a hurry, mm-hmm. and you know you don't want to. Cross them up. You don't want to surprise them too much. Uh, But because he has to do TV first, he has a chance to pull his thoughts together. So that gives me really an advantage. But what I try to do is ask myself, what's been the pivotal point in this game so far? And then it's be it offense or defense. I can't ask about officiating about calls like that because I know what he's going to say. He's not going to answer it. Right. So, you know, to your point, I only get really – one question and a, probably a quick follow-up. But I try to figure out why is the game unfolding the way it is? What does he have to say about that? And I try to go offense, defense, defense, offense with both my questions. Uh, and sometimes you get good stuff. Sometimes you don't. I remember with Stoops, uh, gosh, what game was it? Miami of Ohio. They came in. It was among his first years. And they tried this new offensive style that I think NC State had been running, coincidentally. But it wasn't on film. And it, was, you know, it wasn't on anything that, that they had prepared for. But they saw Miami warming up. They saw some drills that Miami had been doing. And they recognized it. Stoops and one or two of his assistants who'd been at Florida State. And they recognized the pre-game drills and they thought they're going to try to run this stuff. And they got together and, and they, they took it apart. They did a great job. And Miami was no good, yeah. uh, with all due respect, but they, you know, so coming off the field, I said something about coach. You really handled that, that read option really well. He said, yeah, we saw that when we were at Florida state. So we knew mm. what to do. I mean, stuff like that. You don't get it every week, yeah. but it's cool.
0: Yeah. Nice little nuggets from time to time. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so, the radio so Big Blue Insider, on statewide, 630 WLAP in Lexington.
1: Statewide on Monday nights. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's on
0: WLAP w- w- the rest of the week.
1: Apparently. Okay.
0: So did you always want to be in radio? Did that just kind of happen as well? Or how did, how did that come about? Happened by accident. Seriously? Um, well,
1: sort of, yeah. When I was in college, again, I stumbled into a job at the campus radio station because the announcer who did the games – on campus radio. I mean, everybody's listening to Kaywood, but uh, he quit. And they used to sit right next to me at the press table when I wrote for the school paper. And I got to talking to the GM about how I'd always wanted to try it. He said, well, call me. So I auditioned and got the job and did play-by-play of home UK football and basketball for three years. I was training academically to be a newspaper guy. I wanted to work for the, the Courier Journal in Louisville ultimately. But I figured, you know, it was going to take some other stops up the chain. When I got out of college, newspapers were were cutting way back. They were either going out of business or cutting back on personnel. And so I thought, well, I'll see what's out there. But I was going on job interviews to be a newspaper guy. But I had heard a rumor that WVLK, which did a ton of sports at the time, but didn't have a full-time radio sports director, I heard a rumor they were going to create a position. So I was literally passing through Lexington, stopped, dropped off a resume, and got an interview, and they hired me on a Thursday, and I started on a Monday. And, of course, that was the U.K. flagship, so opportunities came from that. Mm. I developed that relationship with Host Communications, Jim Host, and it just kind of went from there. So I was right place, right time, which so many of us, that's the case, but you got to be ready.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I think I was ready. Absolutely. So, correct me if I'm wrong. I've, I've met you in person a couple of times, and you've had me on your show. You've been on here. You, you always seem, you know, pretty cool and collected. Maybe not easily starstruck by anybody. Uh, has there been any bucket list guests that you've had over the years, or, or maybe more memorable guests or favorite guests, or oh, I can't believe I just had such and such or <laughs>
1: Well, I've, I've been fortunate to talk to so many people. Um, you know, I, I would love to do a show like with a Bob Costas mm. or somebody like that. I would love to have been able to sit down with Vin Scully or somebody like that. But, um, you know, I try to stay in my lane. Uh, but because of my position with the UK Network, I've been able to talk with, with a lot of high profile people, which is great. Uh, I will tell mm. you. In terms of hero worship, a guy I didn't have him on the show. I was honestly, I was too afraid to ask him. Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson. He he played in our children's charity golf tournament about 15 years ago. He was my all-time favorite Cardinal. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And he sat down next to me when we were all eating dinner on these picnic tables talking baseball. And I just couldn't believe he was sitting there. You know, it made me nervous. Uh, But as a kid growing up, I idolized Pete Rose, and I've been able—I, I, you know—interviewed him a couple times, uh, not on the on the radio, but just for my radio show. I'll tell you, a guy I had in studio because I thought, ah, what the heck? I interviewed uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Wow. He was okay. town, yeah, he was in town for the a uh, uh, boxing match involving Greg Page. Do you remember that name? Yeah, yeah. the heavyweight mm-hmm. champion. And he was working for HBO, and they were in Rupp Arena. And so he was in town the day before, and I saw him eating by himself, eating lunch at the Hyatt restaurant next door to VLK. I went up brazen his brass, a young guy, 1981, blah, 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 would you mind? I said, the radio station's right there. He said, sure. Mm. So I came over and got him in the lobby, walked him over. He came on with us for 20 or 30 minutes. Wow. Great. Great. Fantastic! Mm-hmm. I tell you another guy I talked to early on and it's hard now to get people because so many people field so many requests. Well, back then, not everybody was doing, well, there were no such thing as podcasts. Oh. And not a lot of show people were doing radio shows. Chris Berman, mm. PN. Um, I'm watching ESPN one night because I'd look around. Go, Who would I like to talk to? I picked up the phone and called ESPN. <laughs> Got the switchboard. Chris Berman, please. Hold on. Transfer me to the newsroom. And again, this is 1981. They've only been on the air for how long?
0: Two years.
1: Two years. Yeah. Two years. yeah. <laughs> so go, Berman, phone. <laughs> he comes on. Because yeah, I love doing those shows. Sure, I can. I can give you about 15 minutes. Whatever night it was, I got to do the overnights, so I can. You know, before I leave for work, I said that would be awesome. Wow. He comes on, Vinny. He did the whole hour. I kept saying I was on for one hour at that time. He kept I kept saying, Well, you know, thank you so much. Well, I can stick around. Every time I get to a commercial, I can hang out.
0: Wow.
1: He does the whole hour. I sign off. He's still on the phone. I said, Man, thank you. So I said, Don't you have to go to work? Ah, oh, they'll cover for me.
0: <laughs> get get Bob Lee or somebody in there.
1: <laughs> fast forward exactly, fast forward 15 <laughs> years and by some way. I had been named a sportscaster of the year in Kentucky. So I'm at in North Carolina at the awards bank with the national thing. And sidebar, i had a kidney stone attack that morning, so I was high on pain pills. But Berman was the national winner. And I went up and I introduced myself to him. He's only four years older than I am. But I went up and introduced myself and I said, you don't remember this. I said, but you did my show. And I said, and you were so kind to me. And so many people, big time, younger people. And I said, I want you to know that because of that, I've tried to to be kind to younger people coming up the way you were with me. And, you know, he's 6'6", right? Uh, I don't know if you knew that. He's a no. no. Yeah. So he's leaning into me like this and nodding. And he kind of cocked his head. He goes, well, thanks. Thanks a lot for telling me that. So after the dinner's over, and then, you know, all the awards have been handed out. Uh I'm talking to the host family that I was with. They people take care of you when you're down there. And here comes Berman walking across the room. And I look up and I look down, I look up, and he's closer. And I look up and goes, he's coming over to me. And he walked over and he stuck his hand out. He said, I want to thank you again for telling me that story. Cool, my pleasure, you know. Yeah. So I've had some fun. Yeah. And my most famous. Michael Jordan. Not on the show, but Michael Jordan was in Lexington at an event uh, like a little basketball workshop for kids sponsored by Coca-Cola, one of his early sponsors. I think it was after his second year, or maybe his rookie year, but he was huge. And so all the media people, we pile over to Lafayette High School <laughs> and we're waiting. And they're like, Michael, will talk to you all as he's walking, when he's done, was well, he's walking from the front door to his limo, we're like, okay. <laughs> and so I think I'm with KYT at the time. No, it's probably with Anyway, whoever i have got a microphone. And we're all doing the backwards walking thing, right? And he actually answered a question from me. And when he was done, he goes, watch out for the bumper. And I was about to trip over a car. <laughs> I think made us best friends.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so in so terms
1: that- of just crossing paths, That was cool. But I'm going to tell you what, I've done two longer interviews with Magic Johnson. He absolutely the best. So great. So great. Man, that is great.
0: That is great. So you're saying the 94 feet with Jay Billis was longer than the walk with MJ to the limo.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go back. if, if You know, I need to do that. That's a great idea. I need to go over to Lafayette. I live fairly close. I need to measure the distance from that door yeah. to the curb
0: to that bumper. Exactly. Yeah. See? Next time yeah. you have me
1: on, I will <laughs> tell you how far that was.
0: That'll work. That'll <laughs> work. <laughs> oh, you know, Corey price had the, uh, the series he did Commonwealth stadium memories. He interviewed Hal mummy and lots great. of former players and great project. Yes. So I got to ask you, your, your favorite Commonwealth stadium memory, you know as a it can be as a student it can be as a fan it can be as whatever you want it to be you know just your favorite you know
1: that's a great question no one's ever asked me that as a student well i had a lot of fun because i'm broadcasting the games right my uh, the first game i ever covered at kentucky was actually as a broadcaster i went to games <clears throat> but um i didn't cover many for the school paper because i was with the radio station <clears throat> but my senior year Every home game, Kentucky won because that was the year they went 10 and one. Oh man. but it was fun doing games because Kentucky was really good the two out of three years that I did the games, but they were grind them out games like they'd win 14 to 7 or 21 to 17 or something like that. Go back and look up the scores. you'll see what I mean. you know it wasn't any because the rules had changed. Uh, so I enjoyed that in general and Derek Ramsey and I are now very good friends. Uh, I just love talking football with Ram. I love talking society with Ram. He's, mm-hmm. he's such a great guy and a great man. But my favorite is, is obviously the upset of LSU when they went on to win the title in 2007. And there have been a lot since then, a lot of fun games. But that game was so momentous. It was the best offensive team Kentucky has ever had, still has ever had. Mm-hmm. And if you remember that game, there were so many twists and turns so many momentum changes, so many layers to the game, great plays by both teams, offense, defense, special teams. And it was a game, Vinny, that Kentucky always lost in the past. The yes. other team would – remember, LSU missed a field goal that would have won it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, usually it's
1: Kentucky missing the field goal that would win it. But, you know, Lona Sebra made all his kicks. And then Stevie was loose in the end zone. Uh but well, go back and look at the video in the game-winning touchdown. D-back stumbles just a little bit. Stevie gets some room, and you go back and look when just before Andre threw the ball, Derek Locke throws a vicious block at an LSU blitzer. And Derek Locke, as you know, wasn't a big guy. Yeah. If he didn't throw that block, that pass isn't completed, and Kentucky maybe loses. So that was one of the biggest blocks ever thrown. Then of course Braxton Kelly makes the tackle. At the end, close second was earlier in the year when Stevie got loose against Louisville.
0: Yeah, can't that argue either that was yeah. fun. Yeah, you can't argue with either one of those for sure. Um, a couple more, real quick. Just I know you do. You, you've called volleyball, and you know, in addition to everything else that you've done. So they had a pretty pretty nice week, you know. Here you'll know, sweep in Tennessee, and then taking it to Arkansas, and to me, maybe I'm wrong, the fact they played this brutal non-conference schedule, but they were still ranked, I think, showed that the posters had respect for what Kentucky has done and what they think Kentucky will do, and here we are in conference play, and they're right back in first place where they've been for over a half decade.
1: I think you're exactly right. I think that's respect from the pollsters for Kentucky, for the teams that they've played. And understand, this is the coach's poll. <clears throat> so these are the people who know the game the best. And they appreciate the fact that Craig kind of overscheduled, you know. Mm-hmm. But to me, what was the most impressive thing is they stayed together. But that comes from from that winning culture. That's a word I know that's overused a lot. But mm-hmm. so many of the kids – on that team are veterans who know nothing but success and championships in the Southeastern Conference. The younger kids, the new recruits, they have come on to be a part of that. So even if they're looking around, like what the hell's going on? The older kids are like, we're gonna be fine. Yeah. And and you know, Craig told me that in practice they're still working hard, they're still competing hard. That's one of the things I really like and respect about Craig Skinner. If you play well in practice, you will play in a game. Conversely, if somebody goes past you in practice, you might not get off the bench. Even though you might not be playing poorly, she's playing better. Mm-hmm. And a great example is Aaron Lamb, who at times was carrying a, a great load for Kentucky as a regular player. Well, some of the other kids outplayed her. Craig Skinner puts her in in the fifth set against Arkansas. She gets three of the game-winning kills. Yeah. comes in cold and gets yeah. them So they're a lot of fun to cover. I love covering volleyball. that's one of my favorite things I've been doing it since the mid 90s did it on radio a couple years believe it or not but I so enjoy doing volleyball
0: because I tweeted and, I tweeted out that you know she was like Duran lamb she was unconscious she was <laughs> she was hot and you know and just came in in the moment and it wasn't too big and you know made the plays that need to be made was, she's a powerful yeah. player. You know, so you put somebody in like that who can swing like that, fresh. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Now, I'm not, you know, you've been doing play by play. I'm not asking you to be critical of colleagues. I'm not sure who was calling the uh, Arkansas Kentucky game on TV that day. But to me, and look, I'm watching with a Kentucky bias, of course, i Kentucky wins, but they kept trying to convey it as if. This is such a a huge win for Kentucky. This is a monumental win for right. Kentucky. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, they, <laughs> they Arkansas would like to be where Kentucky is at. You, you know, Kentucky's record isn't what you would think, but Kentucky just won a national championship. Kentucky's winning the SEC every year. It's not like Kentucky's still on their way to doing right. these things, but they right. kept making it. Like Kentucky's getting the momentum. They're pulling off this upset. Arkansas is Goliath and I just didn't think they were painting the picture right. Maybe I'm wrong.
1: Arkansas was the only undefeated team in the league and had an overall glistening record. But of course, to your point, hadn't played the schedule. Uh, So yeah, you know, to to me, if I'm doing the national, I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock them. They've forgotten more volleyball than I'll ever know. Yeah. But to me, the storyline was, here is the, the, the team that would be king or queen of the SEC coming into the, the den of this team that knows how to get it done yes. now has become the SEC's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly, uh-oh, Kentucky's starting to figure it out. Yeah. What happens next? And the other thing, too, Vinny, is Florida has stumbled a couple of times because they lost their setter, who's a phenomenal player, and Florida's really struggled because the league for so long, as you know, was the Florida Invitational.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: Generally, it's you got to go through Kentucky and or Florida to get to the top. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I can't say uh, that that they didn't call it properly. Yeah. But to go in thinking that Arkansas was Goliath and Kentucky was David isn't really, yeah. isn't really accurate. But it turned around, I think, by the end of the fourth set.
0: Because mm-hmm. Kentucky still – is the hunted more so in Arkansas, even though, you know, you got to knock out the champ, right? Yeah. Knock yeah. out the champ to get the belt. I don't usually quibble with, you know, broadcast. I listen and just, but, but that, I just kept thinking like this, it's not really, it's you know, Kentucky's not the one that's trying to climb the mountain here, but you know, you have first, to ask that was the question.
1: If this were, and there probably was a Vegas <laughs> line somewhere, but if this were on a Vegas board, who would have been favored? Arkansas or the hot Kentucky team playing at home?
0: Kentucky would have been, I would
1: think. And if not, it would have been like Arkansas by maybe a point (laughs) and a half. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anyway. Last one I got for you, Gabe. You know, Kentucky baseball just made a nice run to the Super Regionals. Yeah. Are they in position, because we saw this early in Nick Mingeone's tenure, they're in position to better handle that success now going forward? Than they were then. Can you can you see them and look and th- Look how the landscape has changed. You know, there was no portal and no NIL just six years ago, but they're in they in position now to kind of build on it and, and sustain it and progress from it.
1: I will say yes for two reasons. Number one, when Nick got here, he had to re-recruit some of the kids who who played here. They lost four or five recruits when when uh, when they made the coaching change. When Gary left, he decided – Gary left on his own and then fell into that job in Mississippi State. Good for him. He did a great job. Said Utah now. But when he left, they lost four or five recruits who ended up starting in other D1 schools, good schools. So, yeah, they, they inherited kids who were a little bit down on themselves. And Minjian did a tremendous coaching job that first year, not so much with the physical but the mental convincing them that they were good. In fact, I did the radio on the first series of the season at North Carolina, and he scheduled the Tar Heels for a reason. They were ranked 10th in the country, had a top-10 draft pick right-hander that opened the season, and Nick knew that they might not win a game, and they didn't. But after the last game, the Carolina sweeps, they talked in the dugout for 45 minutes, and Nick said most of the time, it was Nick saying, guys, guys we're good. You're good. You can do this. We can play. And the players told me, we did a documentary on that season. And the players said it was about halfway through the season until they really believed in themselves. And by then they were rolling and man, they made a run at the sec championship regular season. uh, And then went on to win the regional, as you know, but because the recruits had left, they were way behind in recruiting already almost a year and a half behind because they hadn't started recruiting for next year because they had just gotten there. And then when they tried to plug the holes with some JUCOs, those kids didn't work out. So it's like they almost lost two years of recruiting. You know, that's not the case now they've got talent coming back and you're exactly right. They got the portal. Uh, I don't know if NIL comes into play, but they're so much farther ahead. I'm not saying they're going to win a regional this year, but I don't think they backslide like they did in 2018 because of the kids they have coming back and they've really plucked some talent out of the portal. I can't name names yet, but I'm going to go over and watch them practice and learn, start to learn these new faces, mm. you know, and they lost some, some great veterans and the chemistry on last year's team was just like the mm. team in 2017. Mm. And just like the team at 06 that won the sec. And I remember covering that team. And one of the players said to me, we're just a bunch of guys. And I thought, well, of course you are. I mean, you're a team. But then I was like, oh, I know what that means. You know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, who's on tap to be on Big Blue Insider for this evening? Six to eight, right? This evening? Uh actually Cameron Mills. <laughs> Speaking to of devil. Yeah, I, cool. I want to get I
1: wanted his thoughts on the blue-white game, and I wanted his thoughts on what to expect with the, uh, the Georgetown exhibition, uh, my buddy, Gary Graves is the associated press correspondent here in town. He covers football, basketball here at U of L Louisville. Don't talk about that tonight, but, uh, and Gary, like me is a huge Packers fan. Oh, well, my boy, uh, Billy Rutledge, who was my producer for two, three years now has his own show on LAP. Uh, we pick NFL games and I added them up. We've been doing them now all season, we're, we're just a little over 500. <laughs> it's hard. We pick against the spread. It's hard, man, but it's fun. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, absolutely it's hard. He's a fantasy player. He's in like five leagues.
0: Oh, man. So <laughs> just trying to keep your head above water with the picks. It is hard. Yeah.
1: We've also got an interview with, uh, with Ray Davis. We have an interview with uh, – which one did I use? DJ Wagner uh, tonight on the show. And I talk a little bit about this mess at Michigan. It's taken some really weird turns.
0: Yes, it has. Yes, it has. So great loaded show that everybody can listen to on WLAP. Download from your favorite
1: p- podcast store. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, Gabe, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Uh, taking the time to hop on here, enjoyed it. Definitely have to get you back on to see how far it is from the bumper to the Lafayette High School door. Yep. I'll uh, be
1: dragging you on next week to get your thoughts on uh this this weekend doubleheader. Basketball, football.
0: Hey, just just honored that you even want to have me on to hear my two cents. So I appreciate it. Of course. For everybody, this has been another episode of Believe in Kentucky. You can get it at believe.com. We've been live streaming on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. The podcast will be up on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And we always appreciate Asea Blue, Jason Markham, and the fellas put every episode up on their website with links where you can watch Or listen. So, for the legend, Dick Gabriel, my name is Vinny Hardy. For another episode of Believe in Kentucky, y'all take care. Go Cats, speak the Vols. We'll holler at y'all next week.